We'll hear argument next in case 081332, the City of Ontario versus Kwan. Mr. Richland. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Under the less restrictive constitutional standards applied when government acts as employer as opposed to sovereign, there was no Fourth Amendment violation here. First, Ontario Police Sergeant Jeff Kwan had no reasonable expectation of privacy vis-a-vis the Ontario Police Department in text messages on his department-issued pager in light of the operational realities of his workplace, which included the explicit no privacy in text messages policy. The written policy. <laughs> the whole the argument here, of course, is that that was modified by the instructions he got from the uh, lieutenant. Do we follow the written policy or the policy they allegedly uh, enforced in practice? That is the argument, Mr. Chief Justice. But in fact, there was no inconsistency between the no privacy in text messages aspect of the written policy and the oral information that he was given. First of all, the written policy itself was uh, broad enough to cover text messages. It stated, for example, at Appendix 152, that it replied to city-owned computers and all associated equipment. And again at 152, city-owned computer equipment, computer peripherals, city networks, the Internet, email, or other city computer-related services. And finally, the agreement to the policy was that it applied at — this is at Appendix 156 — to city-owned computers and related equipment. So certainly the, the written policy itself was broad enough to cover text messaging pagers. But in addition to that, nothing in the oral statements made by Lieutenant Duke undermined the no-privacy aspect of the written policy. But we're dealing with Mr. Kwan's reasonable expectations, right? Yes. And even yes. with the written policy, he has the instructions. Everybody agrees you can use this pager for private communication. That's correct. Um, uh, we're not going to audit them, right? That's what he said. He has to pay for them, right? And most days, if you're paying for them, they're, they're yours. And this, it, it particularly covered messages off-duty. Now, can't you sort of put all those together and say that it would be reasonable for him to assume that private messages were his business? They said he can do it. They said you've got to pay for it. He used it off-duty. They said they're not going to audit it. Not when he was told at the same time that these text messages were considered email and could be audited and that they were considered public records and could be audited at any time. That is a, has to do with a different aspect of what the policy, the well, rural well, policy. In addition to that was said at the meeting, and Lieutenant Duke, who was the same one who later says, I'm not going to monitor as long as you pay the difference. Uh, there was the, the statement at the meeting by that same person. Wasn't there something in writing by the police chief to follow up after that meeting? Yes, there was, uh, Justice Ginsburg. There was a memo that was sent that memorialized the statements at the meeting that specifically stated that the text messages were treated as email under the, the written policy. Let me ask you. Let me ask you, put the written policy aside. Let's, a hypothetical case, there's no written policy. Would he have a reasonable expectation in, in the privacy of his personal email text messages in that case? So Not, in other words, all we know is the list that I went through earlier. Yes. Yes, Mr. Chief Justice. Assuming all the other factors in this case were present, yeah. that is, he is using his department-issued pager, he is a police officer and, indeed, a member of the high-profile SWAT team on the police department. He should be aware, just by virtue of that fact, that there is going to be litigation involving incidents that the SWAT team gets involved in, where there will be requests for the communications that are made on that official department issue pager. And in addition, he should be aware of the fact, and this is something that the uh, dissenters to uh, denial of en banc said below, he should be aware that there may be inquiries from uh, boards of the police to determine whether the conduct of the police in particular incidents. Mr. Richland, a little earlier you, you, you referred us to page 152 and 156. Uh, of, the, of the appendix to the petition. 
All of the appendix to the petition. Yes, and that's the policy. That is the written policy, Justice Scalia. I'm sorry for the confusion. Well, that's the written policy. That is the written policy. And the policy itself is, from the point of view of of Officer Kwan, is a little bit more complicated than that. Well, of course, uh, what the — what Officer Kwan's point of view is must also be tempered by what we are reasonably going to accept as a society of his understanding of the circumstance. You, you would agree, I think, that if the SCA, the, store, the Stored Communications Act, if yes. that made it illegal to disclose these uh, emails, then he would certainly be correct that he has a reasonable expectation of privacy in them, right? No, Mr. Chief Justice, we would not agree with It's that. not reasonable to assume that people are going to follow the law? Well, for, for several reasons. Number one, this Court has repeatedly stated that the mere fact that something is contrary to the law does not in itself commit, uh, permit a reasonable expectation of privacy. Just two terms ago, in uh, Virginia versus Moore, this Court said precisely that. And, of course, it said it earlier in California versus Greenwood and, and, a, and a number of other cases, Oliver versus United States. Um, because the effect of that, of course, would mean that we would be constitutionalizing every positive law that might be enacted by a state or the federal legislature. Well, on that point, uh, do we take it as the law of the case or as a given that it was illegal for, I think, Arch to turn over the transcripts to the police department? What, what do we do with that part of the case? Justice Kennedy, I don't believe it is law of the case that is binding on this court, since this court is a higher court. Although it is true that this court denied certiorari on that issue, I don't believe it is bound by the Ninth Circuit determination of that. And, and in fact, it is our contention that that was incorrectly decided. On, on remand, uh, uh, has there been a final judgment issued as to Arch, or is that just uh, I, I don't helped? believe so, Justice Kennedy. I believe that everything has been stayed pending the determination by this court. Counsel, let's assume that um, in this police department, um, everyone knew, the supervisors and everyone else, that the police department people spoke to their girlfriends at night. Yes, yes. And one of the (coughs) chiefs, out of salacious interest, decides, I'm going to just go in and get those text, those messages, because I just have a purient interest. Does that officer have any expectation of privacy that his boss won't just listen in out of purient interest? Justice Sotomayor, as to the first aspect, the question of reasonable expectation of privacy, the motive should have no impact. The, the motive of looking should have no impact. The question of reasonable expectation of privacy must be analyzed according to the relationship between the officer and his, de- and but if, his if, employer. If, in fact, and, and whether we agree with this conclusion or not, um, we accept the lower court's views that there was an expectation that the chiefs were not going to read these things, some expectation of privacy. Yes. The limits of it have to be limited for all of the reasons you said. Um, doesn't this case begin and end on whether or not what the jury found is reasonable grounds for what the city did? I think that what this case begins and ends with, if, it, if we assume that there was a reasonable expectation of privacy, is under the plurality opinion in O'Connor whether the search itself was reasonable. And the jury did, of course, make a determination as to the purpose of the search. I I guess we don't decide our our, uh, Fourth Amendment privacy cases on the basis of whether uh, there there was uh, an absolute uh, guarantee of privacy from everybody. I, I think I think those cases say that if you think it can be made public by anybody, you don't you don't really have a right of privacy. So, when the when the filthy-minded uh, uh, police chief uh, listens in, it's a very bad thing. But it's not it's not offending your right of privacy. You 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 expected somebody else could listen in, if not him. 
I think that's correct, Justice Scalia. I think it is. And, and I think the reason why you must have the two-step analysis in the case of this sort, that is, first look at the question as to whether there's a reasonable expectation of privacy, and then determine if there was, whether the search was reasonable, is precisely for the reason that without that, what we will have in every case is the claim that there was a salacious reason, that that was the reason. And we'll be litigating every one of those Then, according to what you just said, that the jury determination was superfluous. If there was no reasonable expectation of privacy, because the officers were told this is just, we treat this just like emails, it can be monitored, it can be made public, then there would be no reasonable expectation of privacy and there would be no question to go to the jury. That's correct, Justice Ginsburg, and it is our position that this should never have gone to the jury, that summary judgment should have been granted in favor of the Ontario. So you have two arguments. One, that it's, there's no reasonable expectation of privacy, even if there were, that this was a reasonable search. That's correct. Is reasonable expectation of privacy a judge question or a jury question? Well, if, if there is a conflict in the facts, I presume the jury must resolve those fact, that factual conflict. But in this case, I don't believe there is a conflict in the facts, and therefore, it is a judge question. Did your client treat on-duty text messages different from off-duty text messages? Uh, it, it did once there was an initial determination made. Why, did it, the, why did it do that? <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. No, no. Why did it treat them differently? It Under your theory, they're all the same. No expectation of privacy. Yeah. It treated them differently out of, in, because there were two aspects to the case. One aspect was the initial determination that Chief Scharf ordered to say, we ju- I just want to know, is, is the, our character limit efficacious here, or do we need to have a higher character limit? And for that purpose, they needed to just look at all of them. And they did. They looked at all of the text messages. But then when they saw that some of them may have involved violations of department regulations, then it was sent to internal affairs, and, and they redacted the off-duty messages. Is that something they like were a plain, plain view argument? Well, I suppose. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. In other words, there, there, there is, under your view, yes. an, a, a legitimate grounds to look at the messages, and then once they see it, they're not, they don't have to ignore it. I, I think that's correct, Justice Kennedy. Well, I did, I, I'm sorry. I still don't understand. It yeah. redacted them, right? Redact, because the inquiry of the second stage of the inquiry in internal affairs yeah. was simply to determine how much time was being spent on duty sending personal messages. Right. So the uh, in, Internal Affairs Department said, we don't need to look at the off-duty messages. We're going to redact them. Why get into all of that? We, we don't have to look. So it, the, the department was pretty scrupulous, and I think that's part of what makes the entire approach that they took to this reasonable. It makes the search aspect of the case reasonable. And I think it's important in that regard to look at the nature me, you, you said they did get to the off-duty Text messaging later? No, it was the other way around. They looked at the on-duty text messaging at the later stage, at the internal affairs stage. But they looked at all of the text messages when the only purpose for the inquiry was to determine how many of the text messages in general are job-related and how many were personal. Because the question was, do we need to raise the character? We didn't have to look at the messages to determine that with respect to the off-duty messages, right? Well, Well, you did... It, because of the fact, Mr. Chief Justice, that there were job-related communications, even while there was off-duty, these officers were SWAT team officers. They were on duty, as, 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 as uh, Sergeant Quan said, 24-7. That was one of the reasons why they had the text messaging page. If someone wanted to send a message to one of these pagers, what sort of a device would you need? Do you need to have another pager, or can you, could you send a message to one of these devices from some other type of device? No, there were messages that were sent from various other devices. And it, it, it is the question whether that could be physically done, electronically done? Because, yes, clearly there Yes, was. what other type of device could you use to send uh, a message to one of these uh, pagers? It, it, oh, I'm not certain if it was something other than a, another text messaging pager. It did appear that there were some email entries in the transcripts themselves which suggested that there might have been a way to communicate to them with email, but that's just, that's all in the record that, that suggests that. Um, you know, if, if they were on duty 24-7, there weren't any off-duty messages, <laughs> were there? Well, 
I may have misspoke. They were on call 24-7. They were the SWAT team, and they had to respond to emergencies. If we take it that the, the Stored Communications Act uh, does say that the uh, provider may not give out the transcripts, if we take that as given, then how can the Department lawfully use the transcript? Well, Justice Ginsburg, Ginsburg, first of all, uh, there was no, there is is no current claim that anything that the Department did with respect to the Stored Communications Act was unlawful. So it may be that the other entity, Arch Wireless, violated the Stored Communications Act. But that would not preclude the Department, which was, after all, the subscriber, from requesting to see what, in fact, uh, the transcripts disclosed. but in addition to that, there is also the fact that, as I said before, uh, a reasonable expectation of privacy couldn't be based simply on uh, the fact that there was a, a statute, and particularly not a statute like the Stored Communications Act, because that's a statute that's extremely, extremely technical, and there is a one has to determine whether an entity was working either as an electronic communication service or a remote computing service and so on. Courts are all over the board on this. As this Court noted in United States versus Painter, a complicated law like that simply cannot be the basis for a, a reasonable expectation of privacy. And if I may reserve the rest of my time, thank Certainly, you. Certainly, Counsel. Mr. Cockiel. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Millions of employees today use technologies of their their employers under policies established by those employers. When a government employer has a no-privacy policy in place that governs the use of those technologies, ad hoc statements by a non-policy member cannot create a reasonable expectation of privacy. Put most simply, the computer help desk cannot supplant the chief's desk. That simple, clear rule should have decided this case. Instead, the Ninth Circuit found that the 1999 policy applied to pagers, but then concluded that that 1999 policy was informally modified years later. And that decision should be reversed. It disregards this Court's repeated holdings, including two years ago in the Chief Justice's opinion in Enquist versus Oregon, about the greater amount of, of, of leeway that the government has when it acts as an employer. And it also is not consistent with the plurality opinion in O'Connor, which observed that when the government adopts a policy that its employees lack privacy, no reasonable expectation of privacy. Let let me ask you this. Suppose the Department asks for opinion of legal counsel whether or not uh, transmittal of the transcripts by Arch to the Department was a violation of the Act, and the counsel said this is a violation of the Act. They had no right to send them to you. Uh, would the Department then still have had a right to look at the transcripts? Uh, so, so the question is, if, there, if the Stored Communications Act is yes. violated? Yes. Um, we don't think the Stored Communications Act no, but was — No, my, no my hypothetical uh-huh. is, is that, the, that there is a legal counsel's opinion that there was in violation of the Act, and let's say the District Court said it is in violation of the Act. Let's say we say it's in violation of the Act. Is that the end of the case? The Department cannot look at the transcript? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I think this Court has, has repeatedly said that, uh, that various privacy laws don't determine the scope of the Fourth Amendment. I think it said so most clearly in California versus Greenwood. And I think that's for a very simple reason. The things like the Stored Communications Act, Justice Kennedy, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, came about. Well, uh, well Cal- California versus Greenwood is a question of, of, of a Fourth Amendment um, file uh, standard that had to be nationwide. So you say it's the same same thing here? I, I do think it's the same, and for the simple reason that when you have a nationwide standard or a state standard, it's to fill the gap, the, whatever isn't necessarily protected by the Fourth Amendment. And here — Well, but uh, Green, Greenwood was in the, con- uh, in the context of uh, the exclusionary rule in criminal proceedings. I certainly think that states, uh, at least we can make the reasonable argument, that states can have different policies with respect to their employees that have to be respected. 
Absolutely, Justice Kennedy. I don't disagree with that. I think the only question is, if, the, if, if, if I understand your question, it's does a federal statute about privacy somehow matter to the Fourth Amendment analysis about reasonable expectations of privacy? And there our contention is no. It's precisely because Congress enacted the Stored Communications Act to fill gaps in Fourth Amendment law. That, that's why it's enacted. And for, the, for this Court to then use that very act to be the template on which reasonable expectations of privacy may spring, I think would be a very uh, — would be a novel proposition. Well, that's, right. that's a little bit puzzling, because there are — electronic communications are stored all over the place, uh, in a, uh, and there isn't a history uh, — these are, these are relatively new. There isn't a, a well-established understanding about what is private and what isn't private. It's a little different from putting garbage out in front of your house, which has happened for a long time. If, if statutes governing the privacy of that information don't have any bearing on the reasonable expectation of privacy under the Fourth Amendment, then some, I, I'm at something of a loss to figure out how to determine whether there is a reasonable expectation of privacy regarding any of those things. Well, well, Justice Alito, I do think that the underlying premise of your question is one with which we entirely agree. These are technologies that are rapidly in flux in which we don't have intuitive understandings the way we do about, say, trash and so on. And it's precisely for that reason I think the Court should be very careful to constitutionalize and generate Fourth Amendment rules in this area uh, at the first instance. To do so, I think, really does freeze into, into, play, into play something that the legislature can't then uh, fix, and going to Justice Kennedy's opinion in, for example, Murray versus Giratano, in which he said that constitutionalizing in that area, constitutionalizing may pretermit legislative solutions. Now, here, the Stored Communications Act is not violated under any way, shape, or form. The Sword Communications Act has two different provisions in it, one having to do with uh, remote, remote computing services, RCSs. That's when an entity offers storage facilities. And the other is for an electronic communication service. That is essentially transmission of messages from point to point. Your, your point that you made just a, a moment ago, that we don't want to freeze into place the constitutional requirements with respect to new technology, I wonder if it cuts the other way. We're dealing with an amendment that looks to whether something is reasonable. Uh, and I think it might be the better course to say that the Constitution applies, but we're going to be more flexible in determining what's reasonable because they were dealing with evolving technology. Well, well I think that the, the best way, I think the most easiest way for the Court to resolve this is to simply say that when we're dealing with what is reasonable, we look to the policy. And here, there's a policy by the employer. It says that computer-associated and computer-related equipment and others, there's no expectation of privacy. You have a person who's told that repeatedly. Well, but that puts a lot of weight. I mean, there's some things where we don't bind them. You know, you get the usual parking garage thing. It's got all this small print on the back. We, we don't say that you're bound by that because nobody reads it. Um, uh, but in here, I just don't know. I just don't know how you tell what's reasonable I suspect it might change with, with how old people are and how comfortable they are with the technology when you have all these different different factors. You know, they're told you can use it for private, you've got to pay for it. I think if I pay for it, it's mine, and it's not the employer's. Well, I think the clearest way, Mr. Chief Justice, to decide what is reasonable and what isn't is actually the terms of the policy. And it seems to me very little is more unreasonable than expecting a right to privacy after you've been told in a policy you have no privacy. Suppose we find a right of privacy. Is that the end of the case? I mean, it, wouldn't you also, in order to uh, uh, sustain this lawsuit, wouldn't you also have to find that it was an unreasonable Absolutely. There are two arrows in the city's quiver, and I think they're right as to both of them. So, but what, What's the government's position on the unreasonableness of the search? The, the government's position is that the Ninth Circuit, just from, from the get-go, got the standard wrong by citing it, by using a Schoengert test, which was, was this, was this search the least restrictive alternative? And we think this Court has repeatedly said that's the wrong way of thinking about it, that that puts judges in the, in the position of second-guessing uh, searches on the ground, that they're not really fully, fully equipped to do so. So I do think that is a possible way to resolve this, Justice Scalia. Maybe an easier way. Huh? Well, I don't know that it's easier in the following sense. 
I think that thousands of employers across the country rely on these policies and millions of employees. And the Ninth Circuit's decision puts that reliance in some jeopardy because it said that you can have an official policy and it can be taken back by what some ad hoc subordinate says. And that is, I think, a very destructive notion to the idea of reliance on these policies and setting — your your position would require people basically to have two of these things with them, two whatever they are, the the text messenger uh, or the Blackberries or or whatever, right? Uh, Because if assuming they're going to get personal things, you know, some emergency at home, they're also going to get work things. To the to, — under this policy, yes. Now, you might have an employer that sets a different policy and allows for some de minimis use in a zone of privacy in that use. You can have a variety of different things, but what I think would be dangerous is to have a blanket rule that constitutionalizes and says you always have reasonable expectations of privacy in this technology. The result may be, Mr. Chief Justice, that employers then won't give that technology at all to their employees and, mini- and eliminate even that de minimis use. Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, you had also asked before about the standpoint of Quan in, basic, in evaluating the reasonableness of the, search, of, of, the, of the search and his perspective of the policy. We think that is the wrong way of looking at it. Instead, we think the proper test is the written policy, what it says, and that is the simplest way, I think, to provide administrability to the lower courts. They can simply say, was this policy in existence, and not get into those questions of, is it like a parking ticket? Did I flip through it too quickly? Did I understand the policy? To, you, want to, you want to undo O'Connor's operational realities of the workplace and say the minute you issued a, a, pol- a written policy that renders all searches okay, uh, no, even if the operational realities are different. No, no, not at all, just Sotomayor. I take it the language about operational realities in the workplace, what is right next to it is looking to whether or not there are regulations in place, and here a policy is a regulation. Uh, and so we You do- may have an argument that the nature of the policy here and all of the activities related to it don't prove an operational um, uh, reality of privacy, but I don't know why you want a flat rule that says once you have a written policy, there's no expectation of And I of think that is, that is what O'Connor says with respect to the, as long as the policy is in place, uh, that, that's what O'Connor permits. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Dumeier. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. I think an underlying fact that we might be <clears throat> skipping over is, is, and both the lower courts recognize this, that the computer policy that the Department had didn't apply to the pagers on its own. It, it only came into play after Lieutenant Duke modified that policy and told people at, at the meeting that was referred to earlier that the pagers are now going to be applying with, with this policy. Why why is that so? I mean, it did say associated equipment. And and if an employee is told, now, emails aren't private, so we're warning you, we can monitor them, wouldn't such an employee expect the same thing to apply to the pager? Well, the, the policy itself has two components to it. One is don't use our equipment, all associated equipment, for personal business. The other part of that policy deals with the no privacy in it, and it informs the people there could be monitoring. And, and specifically on the acknowledgement form of that policy, which is at Appendix 156 of the petition, it specifically says the city will periodically monitor email, Internet use, and computer usage. And, and again, I think this is why the low, both lower courts came to the conclusion that the computer policy on its own wasn't in play until Lieutenant Duke announced that, hey, now the pagers are going are to be in play with this computer policy. This is the same Lieutenant Duke. But my question is, would you, an employee reads this policy and says, oh, my emails are going to be subject to being monitored. Sure. Wouldn't that employee expect that the policy would carry over two pages? You would, when you think of what's the reason why they want to look at the emails, wouldn't the same reason apply? Well, the, I'm, I'm sure the same reasons could apply, but the, the city is the one that writes the rules here. 
the if they want to make it clear on what it applies to, it, it certainly should be on them to write them maybe, clear so the employee understands. Maybe everybody else knows this, but what is the difference between the pager and the email? Sure, the email. Looking at the computer policy, that's that goes through the city's computer. It goes through the city's server. It goes through all the equipment that that has that, that the city can easily monitor. Here, the pagers are a separate device that goes home with you, that can go, that travels with you, that you can use on duty, off duty, and well, you, you can do that with emails. Cer- certainly, certainly. But in, in this in this instance, with the pagers. It went through no city equipment. It went through Arch Wireless, and then was transmitted to another another person. So, you know, again, back to Duke. Duke's the one that said, "Hey, this this comes into play." But Lieutenant Duke is also the one that gave the privacy guarantee to the SWAT team members and said, "As long as you pay the overages, we're not going to look at your pagers. We're not going to look at the messages." So, if if you couple both of those modifications, both by the same lieutenant. And he wasn't just some subordinate. He was a lieutenant in charge of the administrative bureau. He was the administrative Not bureau. that he camp. said that he was saying, look, as far as billing is concerned, I'm not going to look at these. If you use more than 25,000 characters, you pay the extra, and that will be the end of it. If you contest that, then I'll look to see whether those in excess of 25,000 characters were for work purposes or private purposes. And so he's talking about the billing. He hasn't retracted what was said at the meeting about that these uh, text messages are subject to audit. This this is what Sergeant Kwan testified to that he attributed to Lieutenant Duke. If you don't want us to read it, pay the overage fee. But what's wrong with his deciding, I don't like to do this anymore? That I want to collect all this money. It's too complicated. And so I don't know how many of these messages are related to work and how many they're just mucking around, prying into each other's business. He can so I would like to know. So therefore, I'm going to look and see. Now, what's unreasonable about that? Well, he certainly could say, I don't want to do this anymore. And he could, oh, no. And he could I'm saying what's unreasonable. The city owns the pager. It's a pager used for work. They are giving a privilege to people if they want to use it off work. It seems to be involving a big amount of collection. And so what he wants to do is he wants to see how much of this is being used for work and how much is not being used for work. My question, which I just repeated, is why is that an unreasonable thing? I I don't think that quest is unreasonable. Why? And then if that's not unreasonable, why is what went on here that was any different? Well, here the jury, the only fact that was determined by the jury was the reason for the search. And that, that's found at uh, appendix to the petition, page 119. This is the only finding that the jury made as to the purpose of the search to determine the efficacy of the existing character limits to ensure that officers were not being required to pay for the work-related expenses. How does that differ from what I just said? Well, it, it comes into play on, on the scope of the search. Again, look. I understand. I thought it just a more, few more, few more words to say just what I said. Right. That they wanted to look into this because they're tired of collecting so much money. This is the third time I've said the same thing. Probably it's my fault. I'm not being clear. But it looked as if they wanted to know how many are being sent for work purposes. How many for private purposes, including prying into people's business, which wasn't too desirable, and and uh, uh, so that they could get the the the, the, uh, the, the charges right? Now, that sounds like what the jury said they were doing too. And my question was, I don't see anything quite honestly unreasonable about that, where you're the employer, where it's a SWAT team, where 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 you're paying for this in the first place. So the reason I ask it is that I'd like you clearly, to explain what's unreasonable about it. it w- the scope of the search was unreasonable. Uh, That's the conclusion. Under, now, what's your un- reason? Under, under looking at O'Connor, you, you, have to, you have to look to make sure that the search is not excessively intrusive. Here, what they did was they took the, all the messages and, and started reading them. Given the purpose, the limited purpose that was found by the jury for the search, they didn't need to do that. Well, explain that one to me. 
they, being naive about this, if I had, a, like, 20, 30,000 characters in 1,800 messages, and I wanted to know which are personal and which are work-related, a good way to get at least a good first cut would be to read them. Okay. So, so I start off thinking that seems pretty reasonable to me. That's what I would do. Well, that's certainly so, All right. Now, now you tell me why that isn't reasonable. That, that, that's one of the ways they could have done it. They, they, could have got cons- they could have got consent from the officers first to do it. They could have had the officers themselves count the messages. After all, the officers were the ones that were paying for the All right. The officers might say, I don't want you to read these messages because they happen to be about the sexual activity of some of my coworkers and their wives and me, which happened to be the case here. Right. So I guess if you'd asked for consent, the officer would have said no. Now, he says, I still want to know. I'll be repeating it. All right. So what's that? Didn't sound very practical. What's the other way? Well, they, they could have they could have had the officers themselves count the messages. Well, the officer is going to say, "Hey, these are all big work related." I tell you, I'll tell you that. I only had two. Well, okay. What's the third way? <laughs> okay. Um, they, they the lieutenant could have said, "Hey, we're we're going to stop this practice that I started." And from this month forward, make sure all you do is business-related. No more. That would have been rough on them because you want you want to let them have a few. That you need pizza uh, when you're out on duty. You want to uh, look. So far, I've listened to four things, mm-hmm. and I'm just being naive about it. I'll read it more closely, okay. but I don't see why these four things are so obviously more reasonable than what they did. They they also they could have had the officers redact the private messages. Um, and then given it, given it to the department. Education of what, how much is being spent on business related. All of your suggestions about having the officer do things does nothing about verification. Well, you're, re- you're relying on the very person you're auditing to do the audit for you. That uh, doesn't seem either practical or business-wise. Well, other than my one sample of example of saying, hey, let's stop the personal use and, and we're going to have a test month to determine exactly how many messages we need for our business. That, that, that goes back to, <laughs> I, I don't understand that. You're still relying on the person you're auditing to say to you, I'm only using it for business. That, well, that, that's just not logical. Well, but the, the, the sole purpose of the search was only to find out if officers were paying for business-related messages that they didn't need to pay for. But the question in the Constitution, the word is unreasonable. Is it a reasonable or unreasonable? So the question that why I asked is not, maybe you would have gotten a better result if you'd hired Bain Associates. And Bain would have done a four-month study at a cost of $50,000. But I could say a person who doesn't want to hire Bain and who doesn't want to rely on the unverified word of the officers who are using these for God knows what, uh, is not being unreasonable. That's the ultimate issue. And that's why I'm putting it to you to show me that what they did was unreasonable. I think it comes down from that perspective on the excessiveness of the search. The only reason, the only reason the officer would not be accurate, um, uh, I mean, I don't understand why the redaction is such a bad idea. He just says these are private, and that allows — and then you can look at everything else. You can see if he's going too far, because then everything else would be there. But in terms of the, the jury found this was not done to find out what was in the messages, so they don't need to find out what's in the messages. That's just a question. He has to pay for everything he, he redacts. That, that's exactly what we're saying. I mean, the interest here is, is for the officer — to be upfront as far as what's business related to if he's paying for things that he shouldn't be paying for, I'm sure he would he would be forthright about that. I mean, it's no different than the police coming in and saying, well, we're going to look at, uh, you know, what's in every drawer, uh, uh, and then, you know, then if it turns out to be personal and private, we won't, you know, we won't. It just happens that we came upon, I, I guess it's the Justice Kennedy's point, it's kind of the plain view doctrine, except they get to decide how broad what they can view is. That's true. I agree with that. Can I ask you this question about the basic background of a reasonable expectation of privacy? This is a SWAT 
team work? And supposing it was a nine, uh, an officer answering 9-11 calls or things like that, isn't there sort of a background expectation that sooner or later somebody might have to look at communications for this particular kind of uh, uh, law enforcement officer? Well, certainly — Certainly, that could happen in any number. I mean, it wouldn't be just assume that 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 whole universe of conversations by SWAT officers who are on duty 24/7 might well have to be reviewed by some some member of the public or some of their superiors. But but that that could be a possibility on on any on anything that they do in their lives, whether it be their personal. Well, life. but it's over official. It's over the right. official communications equipment that they use for purposes of law enforcement. Correct. Correct. Well, I, I certainly uh, criminal defense attorneys uh, challenging probable cause uh, would want to look at these. Uh, they want to see if there's exonerating evidence under the rule that all exonerating evidence has to has to be submitted. It would seem to me that it's, it's, it's quite likely, as Justice Stevens' question indicates, uh, that, there's, that these are going to be discoverable. Well, it's, it's just like my mail that I might send out to somebody might be discoverable in litigation, but that doesn't... But you're not a, you're not a, you're not a police officer who's policy. making arrests. I mean, this, 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 this is part and parcel of determining probable cause and mitigating evidence. No, it, obviously there are, there are different reasons that could come into play that would legally produce these messages, certainly. Mr. Demeyer, uh, you could say the same thing about private phones. Uh, there, there are obviously circumstances in which uh, uh, whether you were making a call between certain times becomes relevant to litigation. So uh, you could say that destroys the expectation of privacy. I'm not sure. I, I, I hope we. I hope we it's, don't say it, that. No, no. It, it, it's like th this in O'Connor. All nine justices in O'Connor found an expectation of privacy in Dr. Ortega's desk um, be, because even though it was a state-owned desk, you still have an expectation of privacy. Yes, but there's no normal reason for going through somebody's desk, for, whereas there would be a very ordinary re ordinary reason for reviewing. Uh, calls made to the SWAT, was the SWAT team. Well, to me, there were, as as talked about in, in O'Connor, there are certainly a lot of valid reasons to go through a public employee's desk if you're looking for a file or if you're looking yeah. for, for or, or, or an investigation. But still, there was that expectation of privacy. You're talking about employees that, in in today's society, I think work and, and private life get get melded. Together here, we're talking about SWAT people 24/7. Well, to say that there's an expectation of privacy in the desk doesn't say that every intrusion into that expectation of privacy is an unreasonable one. I there could be that ex expectation of privacy, and still, for some reason, let's assume uh, there's been a theft uh, in in the in the building. And uh, it's known that what was taken has not gotten out of the building. And it's conceivable that uh, that, that would be a valid reason to intr intrude upon the expectation of privacy, right? Correct. I, I don't think we're taking away the government's ability to do searches under, under proper circumstances. Well, why isn't this a proper circumstance? It, the, the, the initial circumstance might be proper, but how they effectuated it was not. It was excessively intrusive. They did not — the purpose was to find out if they were paying for enough work-related messages. They did not need to look at these — what they knew were going to be private messages. They knew the lieutenant had this arrangement that they could use this for personal purposes. They knew what they were going to be looking at. They didn't know which ones were private messages, did they? Not until they read them. Not until but, they read them. But, but, but they're certainly they, — they certainly knew what might be coming. Be because of the arrangement that Lieutenant Duke had in place. Here, here, I think What was the arrangement that, that Lieutenant Duke had in place? I thought all he said was, I don't have an intent to read these, because it's too much trouble. So if you go over and you pay me the extra, I'm not going to read them. His Did he ever say that, uh, that, I'm not, that there's, you have a privacy right in these things? No, but according, according to Sergeant Kwan's testimony, he, he told him, as, as long as you pay the overages, we're not going to read them. And Did he that, say we? He never, even Kong didn't say that. He, Duke said. 
he wouldn't do it. But earlier, the, uh, at the meeting, the statement was made that these are open to audit. Didn't say only by Lieutenant Duke. True, true. I, I, I agree. But it was Lieutenant Duke, the one that was making the announcement that, that now these pagers are going to fall under the computer policy. The same lieutenant who then gave the assurance that as long as you pay the overages, we're not, we're not going to look at them. I mean, when you're talking about the operational reality of O'Connor, that was the operational reality. The SWAT members knew as long as I pay the overages, my messages aren't going to be reviewed. What happens, just out of curiosity, if you're, he's on the, the, the pager and sending a message and they're trying to reach him for, you know, a SWAT team crisis? Does, well, does he does it the one kind of trump the other, or is it do they get a busy signal? I, I don't think that's in the record. However, my understanding is that you would you would get it in between messages, so messages are going out and coming in at the same time, pretty much. And would you know where the message was coming from? I believe so. It identifies where it's coming from. It, it identifies a number of where it's coming from. And if you know the number, you know where it's coming. He's, from. he's talking to the girlfriend, and, says, and he has a voicemail saying, "Your call is very important to us. We'll get back to you." <laughs> well, I think dealing with the text messages, you, you're, you're, we're, we're, and that's what we're talking about—the transcripts of where the text messages that were data transferred from from device to device, and, and, and here. You know, we come back to it. I, I did want to touch a little bit on on the Historic Communications Act having play on, on somebody's expectation of privacy. You know, it, it, it's lawfully those messages were protected. And I, I think looking at people's expectation of privacy, that should be a component. It's, it's certainly maybe not the end all to the question. But it should be a factor in, in determining whether or not there, there's going to be an expectation of privacy. Did, did he know about that statute? I didn't that's know about it. Not in, that's not in the record. That is not in the record. But, but the Can other — we assume he didn't? Right. Well, we can assume that, but we also — What difference would that make? I, I still don't I mean, think anything, given the operational — how it can affect reality. his expectation of privacy if he didn't even know about it. Well, it's, it's just like the California Public Records Act — we should also assume he didn't know about that as well, because the, the petitioners make an argument that because there's this California Public Records Act, that they may, that may diminish one's expectation of privacy. Certainly, if we're going to if we're going to have that, then we should also be having the Stored Communications Act that might enhance. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Is what you're saying? Do you have any theory, or do you make any argument that Florio Trujillo and Quan's wife? can succeed in their Fourth Amendment claims if, if Quan can't? I, I do. Um, we, in our brief, try to analogize that to the mail. I think when th they sent messages to, to Sergeant Quan, that was a letter that I sent. And here, the department didn't go get that letter from Sergeant Quan after, after delivery, meaning go get it from his pager. They went to the equivalent of the post office which was Arch Wireless, and, and got a copy off of their server. So I, I, I think, and again, analogizing to the mail, they have an expectation of privacy while that message is in the course of delivery. Well, suppose it was, it was perfectly clear that, I mean, suppose that uh, the, the department gave Mr. Kwan a, a, a statement that says, sign this, you acknowledge that your pager is to be used only for work and that you have no privacy interest in it whatsoever. We're going to monitor this every day. And then these other individuals sent him messages. You would still say they have a, an expectation of privacy in those messages? Until the point that it's on, on Quan's pager. I think under that scenario, they, they could have obtained the messages from Quan, but they, they went over to Arch, the equivalent of the post office, and got them from them. It's, it's like if I cop, make a copy of a letter before I send it to somebody, you know, down the road I might not know what happens and I, I might lose my expectation of privacy down the road, but that copy I kept, I think there's still well, what, when, 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 when you send a text message to somebody else, aren't you quite aware that that text message will remain confidential only to the extent that either the recipient 
keeps it confidential and he can disclose it, or somebody else who has power over the recipient or over the recipient's phone chooses to look at it. Don't, isn't that understood when you send somebody a text message? I, I, I agree with that. And well, so she should have understood that, you know, whoever could get a hold of his phone lawfully uh, can read the message. In other words, I don't see that she's in, 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 a, in a different position from Quan himself. I think it's, it's just a slightly different one. I, I mean, first of all, they didn't lawfully get it. They, there was a violation of the Stored Communications Act. Well, that's a different it. issue. But here, again, had they gotten consent from, from Quan um, and, and got him from him directly, that's a, that's a different But, story. again, it depends upon their reasonable expectation. Do any of these other people know about Arch Wireless? Don't they just assume that once they send something to Quan, it's going to Quan? That's that is true. I mean, they, they expect. But then they can't have a reasonable expectation of privacy based on the fact that their communication is routed through a communications company. Well, they they expect that some company, I'm sure, is going to have to be processing the delivery of this message. And I didn't. I wouldn't think that. I thought you you know push a button, it goes right to the other thing. Well, <laughs> you mean it doesn't go right to the other thing? <laughs> <laughs> it. No, I mean, it, it's like with the emails. When we send an email, that goes through some email provider, whether it be AOL or Yahoo. It's, go, it's going through some service provider, just like when we send a letter or a package. It's going through some provider who's going to move that for us until it gets to the end recipient. And, and like the mail, that message enjoys an expectation of privacy while it's with the post office. Or Can you print the, these uh, things out? Could Quant print these? These, these spicy conversations out and circulated well, among his buddies? Well, uh, he could have, ultimately, sure. Well, and, and, and like when I get a piece of mail from somebody, I could do that as well. But that doesn't mean that the government gets to go to the post office and get my mail before I get it. I, I, think, I think that, you know, certainly adds a little bit to the correspondence that dealt with. with but just to, be, just to be clear, you think if these messages went straight to Quan, that there'd be no problem from the point of view of the senders? I mean, no problem in searching, getting them from Quan. Uh, I think it's certainly a harder argument for me to yeah. make that they have an expectation after, after Quan has it. So we have to assume for your argument to succeed that they know that this goes somewhere else and then it's processed and then it goes to Quan. Yes, but I think in today's I think in today's society that's that's a reasonable assumption to make. Um, one of I, I think it might have been Florio uh, testified that she actually called her carrier to find out, you know, if, her, if her, the messages that she would transmit would be maintained, and and that was that, that they didn't maintain a copy. So there was some understanding of, of how the process worked. Can an officer who has one of these pagers delete messages from the pager? Yes. So that they can't be recovered by the department if the pager is turned into sure. the department. Yes. They can delete them. They can delete them. Just like if they received a letter, they could put in the shredder. So, suppose I sent somebody a letter, and, and I have privacy in that letter, um, and uh, let's assume it's intercepted at the post office. Uh, but I have also published the letter in a letter to the editor of the newspaper. I have written the following letter to Sergeant Kwan. Uh, do I still have a, a, right of, a right of privacy in that letter? Well, I, I think then certainly your expectation may be diminished. Well, but that's the situation here. The, 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 the central location that stores the message is one thing, but she's made, made the message public effectively by sending it to Kwan. Once it gets to Quan, she knows that Quan can make it public or that the employer can, uh, uh, can find out about it. That, but that would create a free-for-all in service providers. If, if while this message, after it's sent and it's in transit, right. it's a free-for-all. The government could just go in exactly. and — Exactly. That, that, and that's why you have the statute, because the Fourth Amendment wouldn't solve the problem because you're effectively making it public by sending it to somebody whom you don't know is immune from disclosure. So in order to stop the, uh, 
intermediary from uh, making it public, you needed the statute. Otherwise, you wouldn't need it. The Fourth Amendment would solve the problem, right? Well, certainly, obviously, the statute can come into play on, uh, in addition to the Fourth Amendment. But here, you know, I come back to the mail analogy. Just because at the end of the line somebody might disseminate my letter, uh, it doesn't lose an expectation in a copy that I make, that I may keep, or that in the course of delivery the post office might keep. I still enjoy an expectation, and, and the Fourth Amendment should certainly protect that copy that either I kept or the post office is keeping in the course of delivery. Certainly, at the end of the line, that letter could be published to the world, but that's not the same thing as the government coming in and getting a copy of it while it was being delivered. Are you sure that uh, — are you sure about your answer to the question of deletion? It's not like deleting something from a computer which doesn't really delete it from the computer? Um, honestly, uh, I'm not — uh, that's not in the record, and I, I, the, 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 how that pager worked as far as deleting, I, I couldn't be certain that it would be deleted forever. Um, certainly not. Um, one, one of the points to, to raise, too, was that most of these texts took place off-duty when dealing with Sergeant Kwan. Um, so, again, back to looking at the actual practice that, that O'Connor has us look at, you know, here again, they, I thought the factual record was the opposite, that, in fact, most of the calls were — not most, but a huge number of calls were happening on duty. There were, there were a large number on duty. I, I think it was broken down to where the average was 27 in a work shift, and the most on one day was 80. But, but also they talked about they, — they took about 15 seconds. So. You're talking about an average of about seven minutes during, during a work day. But the testimony of Sergeant Kwan was that most of these were actually off-duty. And, you know, I certainly — I think that should come into play, given the department — they gave him the pagers, and it wasn't a one-way use. It wasn't, hey, this is, you know, for, for the benefit of, of the employee. The department received a benefit. I mean, they, they wanted to be able to have these SWAT guys sh show up quickly, respond quickly, and, and there, there was a mix on the, on the reasons for these pages. The exchange was, we're going to let you use these for personal purposes. And, and given that reality, you should be able to have some, some expectation of privacy in that use. It, it, it's, it's like if I pick up a, a phone and I'm a public employee and I call my wife, I should be able to have some expectation of privacy in, in, in a conversation, especially given, you know, you're talking about guys that are on 24-7. Uh, do they have no, no private life now? Do they not I have? I thought the policy was limited personal use. The computer policy was limited personal use. Again, depending on how that comes into play with, with Lieutenant the, the, Duke. The notice was we're going to treat these just like emails, and emails was limited personal use. Correct, with, with the additional modification by, by Duke that you could also use them for personal purposes from day one when the pagers were issued. Thank you, Counsel. Thank you. Mr. Richland, you have three minutes remaining. Thank you. Uh, I, I would first like to just make it clear that what it is being claimed was the guarantee of privacy by Lieutenant Duke is really absolutely not that at all, and I would refer the Court to Joint Appendix, page 40, which does summarize that, and it says, here is precisely what Lieutenant Duke said. Because of the overage, Lieutenant Duke went to Sergeant Kwan and told him the city issued two-way pagers, were considered email, and could be audited. So that's what he said first. Then he said, Sarge, he told Sergeant Kwan it was not his, his intent to audit employees' text messages to see if the overages is due to work-related transmissions. He advised Sergeant Kwan he, Sergeant Kwan, could reimburse the city for the overages so he, Duke, would not have to audit the transmission and see how many, mes how many messages were non-work-related. Lieutenant Duke told Sergeant Kwan he is doing this because if anybody wished to challenge their overage, he could audit the text transmissions to verify how many were non-work related. And then finally, Lieutenant Duke added, the text messages were considered public records 
and could be audited at any time. That is what is being characterized as a guarantee of privacy. It's hard to see how that in any way undercuts the official written policy. Mr. Richland, do, do you take any position on, uh, on whether uh, uh, Geraldine Kwan, April Florio, and Steve Trujillo uh, stand in the same position as uh, Sergeant Kwan insofar as this lawsuit is concerned? We, we do with res- in at least one respect, and that is if Sergeant Kwan loses, then we think the other plaintiffs must also Why? lose. Yes, the reason for that is that this Court has held on many occasions that once one has sent a communication or an object to another person, they lose their expectation of privacy. That means well, the government can set up an interception mechanism on telephone transmissions, on uh, email computer transmissions? It, do, it does not mean that, Justice If Sotomayor. it doesn't mean that, answer his argument that, yes, you could take anything from Quan. But the storage, you went to the storage facility, which is a post office. And, and he says it's a post office, but the truth is that all of these plaintiffs admitted that they knew that this was a department-issued pager, and this wasn't a post office. Arch Wireless was the department's agent. These text messages were being sent to some place, both the written policy and the oral policy, so indicated that they were being stored. Who owned Whether this is a — we have to get into the Storage Act and figure out whether this was an RCN or an ECS? Well, I think with — I don't know that it's necessary to do that, because I think that all that must be determined is — and I don't think whether it's an ECS or an RCS is is, — you would require that to determine who owned it, because it was clear that Arch acted solely as — the city's agent. That was oh, I'm not goal. sure you're doing the city a favor by making Arch well, the city's agent. I understand. As, a part to an, as opposed to an independent contractor who's uh, doing business uh, with the city. The point is. You sure it, you want to live with it? I don't mean the agent in, in the most literal sense, uh-huh. Justice Scalia. What I mean is that they were, in effect, when there was a delivery to Arch Wireless, it was a delivery to the city. And all of these individuals knew that this was city equipment, and therefore this was being delivered to the city. Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.